So you're going to a national Christian conference in Salt Lake City. You know you'll have many opportunities to interact and get acquainted with Mormons while you're there. You want to find ways to witness to them as the Lord opens doors. What can you share with a Mormon when you only have a few moments? Today on Family Shield, we'll talk about how to respond and witness in love to those involved in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My guest today is Bill McKeever, president of Mormon Research Ministry. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Thanks, Bill, for being my guest today. My pleasure, Kay. Glad to be here. Well, we're so glad to have you. Over the years, Family Shield has done numerous programs with you on this similar topic, responding and witnessing to Mormons, but we have always picked a specific topic because the time is short. So we've talked about why we consider the Mormons a cult and outside of the body of Christ, about their beliefs in God and how they differ from the Bible. Uh, about the Mormon temple, about baptism for the dead, and the list goes on because I've been doing this program for 19 years. I don't know how long we've been connecting with you. But again, today we want to talk about when you only have a few moments with Mormons, where do you start? And I guess you would start your witness out of love, correct, Bill? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I would think that we would have to approach our our Mormon acquaintance with a, a sincere compassion for them as individuals. I often tell people the Mormon people are not our enemies. We certainly do disagree on a a lot of very important theological topics. But still, I think we need to keep in mind that I think Mormons are trying to be very sincere about what they happen to believe, even though what we feel they believe is certainly absolutely unbiblical in many areas. I've had many opportunities when I know I don't have a whole lot of time to talk with an individual to just ask a few pointed questions that I hope will get them to at least think about some of the things that we've said. But it's funny, when you bring up the topic of religion, usually with a Latter-day Saint, it's not uncommon for them to ask us the question. Mm -hmm. They really kind of make it easy for us. If we just listen carefully to what's being asked, we can probably have a very engaging conversation, even though it may be a very short one. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I try to stay away from are the historical problems with Mormonism, mainly because I find most Mormons are not always that familiar with their own questionable history. Mm -hmm. They may be very familiar with a lot of their basic theological doctrines, as far as they alone are a part of or, or, or their church alone is the only true church on the face of the earth, and things like that, Joseph Smith being a prophet and all. But a lot of the dubious history they may not be aware of, and so bringing up some of those things could quench the conversation, because they could assume either you've been schooled in anti-Mormon, mm-hmm. you know, anti-Mormon thought, as they deem it, or you are just making it up, and they don't feel like it's worth taking the time to correct you in all these areas. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is, and I'll give you a very quick example. I was taking a tour through the Beehive House, which is Brigham Young's home here in downtown Salt Lake City, and it was also the governor's mansion when Brigham Young was the governor of the territory of Deseret before it became a state. 
And so the sister missionary opened up for questions. And so I very quickly asked her, I says, if I was to join your church, what would be expected of me in order to gain the forgiveness of sins? Because I would hope that as Christians, that is certainly one thing we want to have the assurance of, the forgiveness of sins. And we certainly are promised that in the New Testament, that these things are written, that we might know that we have eternal life. But Latter-day Saints don't know this. And I asked that question purposely, because I knew what she was going to say, and she was very textbook. It was, well, you have to repent of your sins. And I asked her, well, what's the definition of repentance? And basically in Mormonism, it's confessing your sins, making restitution, but most importantly, it's never repeating that sin again. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the definition of repentance mm-hmm. in textbook Mormonism, and it, it says that over and over again. So in Mormonism, basically, you really can't repent of the same sin twice. Wow. Because if you do, you never repented in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, and she responded that way, and I simply asked her, well, well how are you doing at that? <laughs> and of course, like most Latter-day Saints, she knew what was expected, but she wasn't doing it. And that was what I wanted her to see, right. because when she told me she was trying, I'll often remind Mormons that when we say we're trying to do something, it's, it's usually always in the context of failure. Mm-hmm. We don't normally say we try to do stuff if we've actually done it. And I reminded her of that, and I said, well, you know, don't you also have to keep commandments? And she said, well, yes. And then again, I said, well, how many commandments must you keep? And she said, all of them. And all said, ten well, commandments all the time. All of the commandments. So just you remember, a in Mormon, organism, organism of law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it was the answer, well, I'm trying. Mm-hmm. So you see, they're not really doing it. And... But when they answer in that kind of way, we can kindly respond to them and say, well, when do you think you're actually going to accomplish this? And if you don't accomplish accomplish it, where do Mormons like you go when they die? Mm. And and I've asked this of many Latter-day Saints, and it's almost sometimes like they've never really thought of this before. And I would think this would be Mormonism 101, really, (laughs) when you think about it. But they often always are hoping that everything's going to turn out okay. Like one one sister missionary that came to my door one time when I asked her this kind of question, and and it became readily apparent that she wasn't doing what she said she should be doing, she responded by saying, well, Heavenly Father is a loving God, and He'll love me anyway. And I went, whoa, I said, wait a minute, sister, doesn't, doesn't your scripture teach in the Doctrine and Covenants, which is a part of unique Mormon scripture, doesn't it teach in section one that your God cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance? Are you saying that he's going to look at your sin with allowance? Would he look at my sin with allowance? Now, the answer, of course, is no. If Mormonism is true, the God of Mormonism does not look upon sin with any degree of allowance. Now, I would agree that my God doesn't either. That's why we better hope our sins are taken care of, mm-hmm. and they are taken care of when we come to faith in what Jesus did for us right. on the cross at Calvary. He forgives us of all of our sins. But in Mormonism, it's very different. Simply 
bringing up some questions like that that hopefully will get them to think about it. But again, you, you've got to be very careful. Your voice inflection and your mm-hmm. body language, you don't want to give the impression that yeah. you're putting them down or right. anything, but you're sincerely wanting them to see what you see as a serious problem here. Mm-hmm. Dying without the forgiveness of sins is something we certainly don't want. Jesus warned about if you don't believe that he is who he is, you will die in your sins. And that was not meant to be a positive comment. Mm-hmm. And I, I, sadly, as good as many Mormons are, they don't know if they have the forgiveness of sins, because mm-hmm. the list in order to accomplish this in Mormonism is so vast and that's why a lot of Mormons live with a great burden of guilt. Yes. They don't know if they're doing enough. Yeah. And that's, that's just one approach that I like to use, and mainly because I don't have to explain a lot of their own history right. in order to show why I have problems with it. it. Most Mormons know where they are in light of eternity. Yeah. We just need to get them to tell us where that place is. And I might also add, you want to be very careful not to use words that a Mormon will probably define differently Mm -hmm. than you, unless you have them define it for you in the conversation. And this is a big mistake that I find a lot of Christians make, is we're so used to talking to each other in our Christian ease type of language, that when we do that with Latter-day Saints, we fail to to understand that they are probably defining those same words that you and I would understand talking to each other, but they would define those words very differently. And so it becomes important that when a Latter-day Saint does bring up a certain term, that we make sure that they that we understand how they're defining that term. So give us an example, and I know the terminology issue is important. Just give us one example of a term that we might bring up in a short conversation with Mormons that we may define one way and they may define in a totally different way. Well, quite simply, heaven. I've had I've had Christians tell me, well, I asked my Mormon neighbor if they're going to heaven, and they said, well, sure they are. I says, well, yeah, because there's three of them that they could end up in. They just don't know which one of the three they're actually going to. So when you say, well, do you feel that when you die you're going to go to heaven, a Mormon could quite honestly answer yes to that question. But if you were to ask the question, do you feel that when you die that you will be exalted in the celestial kingdom? See how I've defined it very precisely now. Mm -hmm. They know exactly what that means. The best they can ever get from their their belief system is exaltation or godhood in the highest level of kingdom or heaven known as the celestial kingdom. That's where Mormons hope to become gods. That's where they hope to be with their family throughout eternity, because that is really the, the Mormon joy of the eternities, is not really being in the presence of Jesus. The, Jesus really doesn't have a, a role in the Mormons hereafter. Once the judgment has been made, and they are assigned to where they're going to spend eternity in either the celestial, terrestrial, or telestial kingdom, the Mormon Jesus really doesn't play a huge role if, if you're in the celestial kingdom, because you become the God of this world. It's all about you now, and you are going to start repeating a process that they believe has been going on since eternity past, a process that even Elohim, the God of Mormonism, had to follow in order to become the God he is today. And, uh, I mean, Jesus, 
he, he's kind of like in Mormon theology, I, I call him kind of like a floater. He goes from the celestial, but then he'll go down to the terrestrial and visit down there as well. Mm-hmm. But it, it's not a, how, how do I say this? It's not a worshipful situation like we would understand it in the hereafter, yeah. being in the presence of our Savior. And that is the ultimate joy that we are longing for, is to be with him. If you ask most Mormons, what do you look for after you die? You know, They'll say, to be with my family. That's yeah. usually the, the answer that they will give. And yeah. that's not a bad question to ask if you have a very short time to talk sure. to the Latter-day Saints. Sure. You know, what is the biggest joy that you look for as a result of what you believe? They'll probably say to be with their family throughout eternity. So one of the things we need to do as Christians is to recognize that the Mormons are lost and in need of Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. The Christ they believe in is not the Christ of the Bible. Uh, and uh, you don't need to get into all that theology with them, but you do need to understand that they really don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ that brings forgiveness and eternal life, and understand that is why you witness, and also to try to get to the law and gospel, and that we are forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ, not because of our good works. I want to make a few announcements, and then we're going to continue talking to Bill McKeever about when you only have a moment with a Mormon. Each week, Family Shield offers a booklet or resource to our listeners. This week, we're offering the booklet, Mormonism, Who They Are, What They Believe, and numerous tracks on this topic that Family Shield's Countercult Ministry purchases and gives away to those that are looking to learn more and to witness. To receive the booklet and tracks at no charge, email us at witness2family at gmail.com or call the Response Center on our new toll-free number 1-877-250-8444. We also have recommended links on our website at www.familyshieldministries.com. And under those recommended links, we have a segment called Apologetics. One of the many agency websites that are there is Mormon Research Ministry and their website link, which is www.mrm.org. This organization has wonderful resources available as well as others that are there. If you're a Thrivent financial member, you can designate your Thrivent Choice dollars to support Family Shield Ministries. Go to the Thrivent website, www.thrivent.com slash Thrivent Choice, or if you don't like those websites, just call them directly, 1-800-847-4836 and ask for Choice Dollars. Remember that as a Thrivent member, you must contact them annually to let them know where you want your dollars to be donated. Remember that the end of March is the deadline to do this for the coming year, so it's important that you do it now. 1-800-847-4836. Family Shield is a listener-supported radio outreach aired on 52 radio stations throughout the United States. Our mission to educate and equip people to know Christ, grow in his word, and strengthen individuals and their families. Please keep us in prayer and send letters or comments to Family Shield Ministries, 
P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. Now I want to go back to my guest, Bill McKeever of Mormon Research Ministry, and uh, I want him to share just a little bit with our listeners about his new book, Mormonism 101. Yeah, I'd be glad to talk about that. Eric uh, Johnson, who is my colleague at MRM, we, we put together Mormonism 101 back in the year 2000, and Baker asked if we would be willing to update it, revise it, expand it. We were glad to do so because in the past 14, 15 years, certainly there has been a lot of uh, direction changes on some things within Mormonism, but there have been a lot of newer statements that have been made naturally over the past decade and a half. And so we've kind of kept the same format that we had, but we've included a lot more of the more uh, newer statements that shows really that Mormonism has not changed theologically all that much at all. They're still saying basically the same things about what they believe regarding God the Father and Jesus and such. They still maintain, as we've talked about, that works mentality that you have to, that faith is not enough in order to be saved, but that works must definitely accompany that faith. And so uh, we kind of put a few bells and whistles in it to make it uh, more conducive for uh, like a home study group and such. And I think people are going to like what we've done. We've been, we're really pleased with this. And uh, that book and I think our other book, Answering Mormon's Questions, I, I think are going to be two books that uh, if you're really seriously wanting to talk to Mormons would be good to have in your resource library because we cover just about every angle that might ever come up in a conversation that we've experienced uh, having, uh, having talked with Mormons for decades. Now, how could someone get that book? Well, it's supposed to come out from what we understand the end of April, and of course it'll be available from us at MRM.org. They can get it off our website, but they could also get it off Amazon, and it should be in most Christian bookstores. So um, it should be not very difficult to get a hold of, that's for Um, sure. Mormonism 101 by Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson? Eric Johnson. Okay, I know I interviewed him once as well. All right, good. Well, let's continue talking about when you only have a moment. Um, Let's talk a little bit about um, how we can emphasize the trustworthiness of the Bible with the Mormon, because Mormons are taught that the Bible is untrustworthy in many places. I've run into that when I've witnessed to them, but I think a lot of times Christians don't realize that. Would that be a good thing to do in a, just when you have a moment, or would that be one of the things that you would say, don't do that? Uh, I've, had, I've had opportunities like that, and, and what you could do if the subject does come up is merely ask them, well, do you have any, any particular ideas in mind when you say that the Bible is not accurate. And maybe I should explain to your listeners where this comes from. Okay. In the Articles of Faith, which is 13 very brief points of doctrine that the Mormons adhere to, and often missionaries will carry a little card, like a business card, and on the back it'll have the 13 mm, Articles yes. of Faith. Article 8 says that we believe the Bible as far as it is translated correctly. Now, what that really means, though, in the Mormon vernacular is that the Bible was not really transmitted correctly. I think they're using an incorrect word there. And what they have been told to believe is that down through the centuries, the Bible manuscripts had been corrupted, either by mistake or even willfully, 
meaning that the texts that we have available to our translators today are not trustworthy texts. So naturally, even if it was a good translation, if the text was corrupted, they would argue that's not really what God wants us to believe. And I can understand that. The problem for them, though, is they can't really demonstrate that the text was corrupted in the transmission process. When we go back and look at old ancient manuscripts of the New Testament, we find that our Bibles are very similar in what they say, as far as an English rendition of it. So, But they've been led to believe that the Bible's been corrupted, because that's what their leaders have said. Now, many times when a Mormon will bring this up to me, I'll say, well, are you aware that Joseph Smith came up with a translation called the Joseph Smith Translation, and that he claimed in July of 1833 that he finished this translation? It's known among Mormons as either the Joseph Smith Translation or the Inspired Version. Usually, depending on what verse we've been talking about, even if it's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, or Galatians 1, 8, or Titus 3, 5, a lot of the verses that I would probably bring up in the course of a conversation, Joseph Smith left those verses intact. <laughs> he didn't touch them. Or if he touched them, he changed them ever so slightly that you can tell that he did make a revision, but the meaning was still there that we've always uh, held to. A lot of Mormons are not aware of this, but even the Isaiah passages that talk about there being only one God and that this God does not know of any other God, Joseph Smith even left those verses intact. Mm -hmm. And certainly, though he may have believed at the time he was doing this revision that there was only one God, and I think maybe that was the case because certainly the Book of Mormon is a monotheistic book, he wouldn't start changing his views regarding God until a few years later. Usually around 1835 and on, he starts to introduce this idea of polytheism, that even within the Godhead, there are three separate gods, mm -hmm. and that men have the potential to become gods in the next life. This was not really something that was taught to Mormons in the very early years of the LDS Church. This comes about a little bit mm -hmm. later on, as Joseph Smith is evolving in his theology. So, okay, good. Now, um, j just related to that, one of the other things that Mormons will talk about, especially as they have you encourage you to read the Book of Mormon, is talk about feelings. And uh, should we talk at all to them about uh, that feelings can be incorrect and that the Bible is more reliable than feelings? Yeah, that that does come up. I, I mean, just this past weekend, I had a conversation with a young man, and he was basing everything on feelings. Mm -hmm. He would tell me that he didn't trust anything that was written, mm -hmm. but that God spoke to him. That's is what he told me. Mm -hmm. So I asked him, well, how do you know when God speaks to you? And he says, well, that's a good question. I said, well, I'm, I'm asking quite seriously. I'd like to know. How do you know it's God or the Holy Ghost, as he said, is actually speaking to him? And what it boiled down to was, if it feels good to him, then it's God speaking. And I asked him, I says, well, what if you went to a doctor and he came out and told you that the diagnosis is you have cancer? Would you feel good about that? 
I mean, just because you didn't feel good about it, would that mean his diagnosis is incorrect? And he said, well, I'd get a second opinion. I said, well, what if the both opinions were the same? I don't understand how feeling good about it all of a sudden renders that, that feeling or that teaching incorrect. I'm confused on that. He never really did give me a good answer for that, but then I've never really had a Mormon give me a good answer for that. It's usually, well, I can't explain it. I just know. And, of course, that becomes very vague, and how do you trump God speaking to these people? Yeah. Of course, as Christians, if, if we feel that God is speaking, it better coincide with what God has already revealed. Otherwise, I can guarantee you that voice, or whatever it might be, certainly isn't coming from God, because our God doesn't have a memory problem, and he certainly wouldn't forget what he said before. Mm-hmm. But in Mormonism, it doesn't always work that way. And so their leaders, for instance, can come up with new revelation all the time based on this, what they call priesthood authority, that they feel that they have in order to speak on behalf of the Church. But feelings can be very deceptive. And I've, I asked this same gentleman, I says, well, what do you do with all the thousands of Latter-day Saints who have left the Mormon Church in recent years who once felt like you do? What do you do with them? Now, I'm sure in his mind he's thinking, well, they're all wrong. Mm -hmm. But how are they wrong is where I'm trying to go with this question. Just because you feel at this point in time in your life that the teachings of Mormonism are true, what do you do with the many Latter-day Saints who felt the same way as you but no longer feel that way now? And usually the reason why they don't feel that way now is because they've learned things about Mormon theology and Mormon history thankfully, in a great part, I think, to the Internet, and now they realize that what they believed was really not true at all. And this is where I'm hoping to get the Latter-day Saint to start looking, because I've had many Mormons tell me that nothing I could possibly say is going to change their mind. And I I usually use this little technique that I've developed where I've asked the Mormon who says something like that. He says, you mean to tell me that if I was to draw a circle on a piece of paper and I had you fill in the circle according to all that you know about Mormonism, how much of that circle would you fill in? And many of them are quite honest and say, well, I'd probably have a lot of white area. I says, okay, that's good. I understand that. But could it, is there at least the slightest possibility that in that white area there could be something that could just rock you to your core and and cause you to realize that something's wrong here? When I ask it like that, I find that many Latter-day Saints, they'll kind of hesitate because I, I think they know where I'm going to go next with this, but I think the honest ones will will say to me, yeah, perhaps. Now, when you do this challenge with a Mormon, be prepared, because they may turn it back on you. And I'm quite willing to say that there's a lot I don't know about Christianity. There could be some information out there that I'm not aware of. Mm-hmm. And I have to at least be willing to admit, I'm not omniscient. There could be something. I don't think there is, but there could be. And, for instance, if you prove to me Jesus didn't rise from the dead, my Christianity's over with, okay? Mm-hmm. We'd all agree on that one. But I want to get across to them that there could be something out there that could really devastate their faith and cause them to reconsider what they believe right now to be true. All right. Very good. My guest again has been Bill McKeever of Mormon Research Ministries. I think the last point is that we need to pray for them 
even if we don't have an opportunity to talk with them about Jesus Christ, pray for them. And uh, let me just encourage you to take up the shield of faith and go first into the home. This is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. Thanks for listening. God bless your day. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield.